Hello, and welcome to the 39th annual award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. Oh, I'm Patrick Gremion. Welcome to The Academy. And Patrick, first things freaking first, you're on a desert island. You can only have one song. Mm. One song. Do you pick The Heat Is On or Neutron Dance? Oh, oh no oh no they're Sophie's both, choice uh Sophie's choice and I'm Stingo yeah. oh, oh I have to go I gotta go uh man Neutron Dance is really good how does the heat is on go again heat is on oh yeah that one's really good on the streets you know what here's my answer to that I, I take both those tracks, I throw them in the ocean, and out of my pocket, I just pull the Beverly Hills Cop theme. Axel F by <laughs> Harold Faltermeyer. Oh, yeah. That's, and that, by the way, which... Oh, man. I can't... It's so funny. Um, to show you, like, uh, how little I knew about... How, how little I knew about Martin Brest before we did this. My only experience... With uh, that song was um, there's a cartoon movie uh, from DreamWorks, like the enemy of the House of Mouse, uh, Monsters vs. Aliens, which is like, it's a fine, it's a fine movie. It's, you know, whatever. Good for the kids. Bring the kids. But uh, they do like a parody of, um, they do a parody of uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Like an alien comes down, president comes out, he pulls out like a keyboard and he's doing like the keyboard thing from a... Uh, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, he's doing those notes, those specific notes. Uh, but then, as a little bit, he freaking starts doing the Axel F. He starts doing the Beverly Hills oh. kind. Everyone's grooving and shaking their little butts to it. Well, how could how could they not? How I mean, like, I had the Blu-ray <laughs> going, and I left that menu screen playing, because guess what it was playing? Axel F. And I was like, I can live with this. I'll, I'll hang with this for a little bit. <laughs> I will say so. that it's like, I just gotta say that it's really funny that, like, this movie made in 2007, ostensibly for children, uh, starts off with, like, a Beverly Hills Cop uh, homage that absolutely no one under the age of 15 would have understood. <laughs> classic filmmaking i love cinema oh classic classic cinema just referencing something for their parents basically yeah oh yeah that's one for daddy that was 100 percent one for daddy how about how about how about one for daddy (laughs) i don't know what that is okay sorry continue sir all right so we last left off with martin breast he was fired Mm. from war games in 1983 mon dieu and boy, I mean, after the success of going in style that we heard, you know, just what does he do? Mm-hmm. What does he do? Well, simultaneously, there was a two, there was a producing team who were beginning to make some serious waves in Hollywood. That's right. Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer, who Ooh. essentially dominated, went on to dominate the 1980s and most of the 90s. <laughs> you know, Don Simpson, of course, was legendary party animal and died very young of uh, of massive you know, drug use and pressure on his heart and a true like old school lunatic producer <laughs> yeah. uh, of the highest order like yeah just crazy stories look them up folks they, they have nothing to do with this episode necessarily but they had had a massive success with flash dance in 1983 so they needed to figure out what their next smash 
was going to be. They, uh, the idea was pitched to them under the name Beverly Drive about a cop from Pittsburgh named Ellie Axel. Mm. However, this script was more of a straight action movie and they want, and project kind of went stale, just general thing. Uh, Daniel Petrie Jr. was brought in to rewrite the script and Paramount Pictures loved the humorous approach to the project and he switched it to Detroit, which is, I think, a pretty key switch for, you know, Detroit, perhaps a supporting character in this film, mm. in addition to Beverly Hills. Oh, wow. Um, producer Jerry Bruckheimer, listen to this, claimed that um, the role of Axel Foley, now known as Axel Foley, was first offered to Mickey Rourke of all people. Um, and he was in, uh, but it, the revisions and preparations took longer than expected. So Rourke when moved on, basically it wasn't that it wasn't a, it wasn't a classic uh, creative difference as Rourke just moved on. Um, Martin Scorsese was offered to direct. Did you know that? No. Interesting, interesting fact, but he turned it down because he thought the um, script was uh, too similar to Clint Eastwood's movie, Coogan's Bluff. Hmm. Which kind of, kind of, <laughs> not yeah. a, a little different, but by checking both out, they're great. Yeah. Um, we don't know what the who, script was like initially. Guess who else was offered this? Oh, I know Dave, this one. David Cronenberg was offered to direct oh, this movie. Oh, oh, I didn't know that one. I take it back. <laughs> Judge Reinhold starts eating himself or something like that. Yeah, like Sean Ashton just uh, a vagina forms in his belly button for some reason. Like Axel Foley starts to merge with the city of Beverly Hills to, to create a mutant city man. Oh no! Why did I eat that shrimp salad sandwich? Um, they um, And of course, probably the most famous um, other actors who were offered, who were considered for Axel Foley included Richard Pryor, get this, Al Pacino, James Caan, and Harrison Ford was offered the part, but he turned it down. But probably the most famous possible Axel Foley, Sylvester Stallone. Hmm. Stallone gave the script his own rewrite. Hey, you know, who could write the script better? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> hey. <laughs> and uh, tur- get this, shocking. Um, Stallone turned it into a straight action movie. Shucky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I ain't a comedy uh, guy. A <laughs> few of his drafts included uh, the character Billy Rosewood, who was called Siddons. Siddons. He was killed halfway through the script in one of the action scenes. And Stallone renamed the um, lead character to Axel Cobretti rather than Axel Foley. <laughs> Very Stallone move. Um, yeah, from the ancient and... island of Cobretti. Michael Tandino was his brother in the script. And of course, hey, you know, maybe, uh, maybe I have go pretty good uh, date Jenny rather than just be friends with her. So <laughs> yeah, Jenny was his love interest in that too. Um, Stallone script um, was apparently insane and over the top. And the finale was me in a stolen Lamborghini playing chicken with an oncoming freight train being driven by an ultra slimy bad guy. Uh, Sloan's ideas were deemed too expensive for uh, Paramount, and Stallone ultimately pulled out two weeks before filming was to start. Can you believe that? Wow. Um, uh, uh, um, and, you know, kind of fun side fact. 
the character named Cobretti was not done for Sylvester Stallone. And as we all know, Marion Cobretti of the film Cobra now holds a big place in our heart. It's still uh. a few years later because Stallone never won to let a good idea fall by the wayside. <laughs> that, that should be in his writer that every movie he's in, his last name is Cobretti. That should be his surname for every character. <laughs> we, um, we have decided on who's going to be the, the next season's um, the next season's actor to go through and i mentioned it to my brother it's like oh we figured out who it's gonna be and he goes it's gonna be stallone right and I go, why he goes because you guys talk about stallone a lot <laughs> like, and i was like you know i see it but it's not no folks yeah. spoiler alert it's not, not stallone, stallone not um, yet. although he would be oh, jen just... just screamed in the background jen's upset about that she wanted stallone <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I mean, he's a fun, he's a weird meathead. He's a fascinating he's meathead. He's a weird, he's a weird, he is, he is on our minds way too much. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Like, yeah. Um, but um, the film, somehow at some point, this is a very Martin Brest type thing. He got involved. I don't know how he got involved. I don't know what it was necessarily that going in style or hot tomorrows got gave Bruckheimer and Simpson the idea that he would be made for a film of this nature Mm -hmm. but um, in essence basically Simpson and Bruckheimer went to as we all know after two weeks they had two weeks before filming started they came to Eddie Murphy which prompted more rewrites of course to make the character less Cobretti and more Axel Foley (laughs) (laughs) does not quite work the same way and I guess so you know, pretty simple. You all know it. Beverly Hills Cop story of a Detroit detective, Axel Foley, who there's a crime in Detroit that leads him to Beverly Hills and he gets up to shenanigans. He's hilarious. He's very adept in action as well. Mm. He's super funny and smart. Um, he's a, just awesome. He's one he of rolls. the great characters. He he's just, he just, just so much fun. He's just so much fun to hang out with. The opening scene of this movie, I just rewatched before we jump on. It's seven minutes and 50 seconds long. Couple mm. couple title cards. Then the title of the movie just slams at you. The heat is on. We're seeing street scenes from Detroit. Does it remind you of a little bit of Dog Day Afternoon and have that energy of New York being introduced to that? I think so. It is one of the best like introductions. Then all of a sudden we're in the back of this cigarette truck. We meet Axel Foley, who's making deals. But he's funny. He's He's messing with the good fellas. You know he's he. You know he's ahead of the game. Oh man! And the, co- the cops show up. Guess what? How about Neutron? Was it Neutron Dance? Yes. I'm sorry. Slip my mind. Neutron Dance comes in. We're in a car chase. Axel's hanging out the back of a semi truck, <laughs> being thrown around. Cigarettes are flying everywhere, and the car truck crashes. Axel gets up. The cops are there. They pull the guns. They see him. He smiles and they go Foley. We should have known it was you. Eight minutes in. It's like, this is the best movie I've ever seen in my oh, life. Oh, rules. Because it, it like establishes too, like like Eddie Murphy is a Bugs Bunny in a world of Elmer Fuds. Everyone yeah. else is like just a, a various different levels of FUD. Like they're all just like he He's deals smarter, with- yeah. funnier, and more charming than every single person in the entire planet. 
and that's exactly what you want from your hero in an action comedy. Yeah, it truly <laughs> rules. Yeah, he is like, yeah, just always two steps ahead of everyone. He's he's like a cosmic trickster god. He is like just, <laughs> just he's prescient. He, it's I mean, obviously it is a Eddie had of course become a breakout star with his stand-up and Saturday Night Live. He was so young. I mean, he was only born in 1961 and this movie came out in um, 84. So he's so uh, young. That's, and, that's so envious. It's like so- yeah, well, but it's also, you know, when you got it, you got it, man. You just have yeah. to like say some people got it. And he, you know, in that time he had it. I mean, he's just, he just explodes off the screen. You're like, I want to be around him. I want to go on adventures with him. Yeah. He's and essentially, like, yeah, he's the entertainment version of the Muad'Dib, of like the, the oh, Dune, of Paul Atreides. He's just this, like, just this a wonder entire, The entire movie, too. Every shot where he and Judge Reinhold are in the same frame, Judge Reinhold is just like biting his lip. He's like, this is the most fun in the entire world. I love hanging out with this guy. <laughs> uh, and he's surprisingly good. He's great. Everyone, that's the thing about um, what I loved about this film and the film we'll be discussing next is that the supporting cast is more than game. Uh, it, like, like it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, the, none of them are going to reach like the charismatic heights of Murphy, of course, but man, they're all so perfectly cast. Well, they're all either like annoyed with Murphy, but come to love him or they're bad guys who Murphy has to dispatch of. And there's nothing, or they loved him already. And yeah. that's, the, you know, that's, the, that's the, like, every single person he meets in the movie. And we're talking Judge Reinhold. We're talking John Ashton. We're talking Lisa Eilbacher. Al- Sorry, Lisa, if I uh, mispronounce your name. Uh, Stephen Burkoff. Ronnie Cox from Deliverance. Jonathan Banks. Mike from Breaking Bad with hair. But you can tell oh, it's man. Mike. James Russo, who we saw as one of... Um, Sonny Black's guys in Donnie Brasco is there. He's great. Um, Paul Reiser uh, from Aliens. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've met him before along the, along the path. And, of course, uh, Bronson Pinchot is sad. Or sh- oh, what a classic. Uh, what a classic archetype he fulfills. The, the, the Euro trash uh, art salesman. I love it. Salesman. Um, so it's just this. What Martin Brest does in this movie, because someone has to hold this together, someone has to like contain the like lightning that it that's flying everywhere off of Eddie Murphy in star in like being a star and like telling this story, because like, and so he really holds it down and he, you know, it's something I think we talked a little bit about the last episode is this idea of comedy coming through narrative and situations rather than just like bad jokes like everything axel does that's funny it's because his back's kind of against the wall and he uses humor and he uses like his really great linguist linguistic skills to get out of jams basically he's super funny doing so yeah he's like a master elocutor yeah yeah, yeah. And, and he, you know he establishes it right away because he's just he's just so funny in that part where he goes to the, he goes to the hotel in Beverly Hills and he's like <laughs> says he's from Rolling Stone and basically this is like like claims that they're racist to get a free room and oh. it's just 
it's so funny and we know what he's doing and we're on his side we love him so much yeah it's so <laughs> satisfying like, to see him win because it is just like it is just this guy who's so clearly like lovable and fun and like in the real world the you feel that you know irl you'd feel like a person like like the odds are kind of stacked against him just in life and so to see him just like um just effortlessly like you know clown on everything is so satisfying it is such a you know also like one of my all-time favorite bits uh in featuring our bananas in this movie just a, an s tier bit you, you know um you, maybe we should go back a little uh had you seen this before <laughs> no i hadn't okay. at all i knew and it's like and on top of that like i didn't like it's so funny because this is a movie that i know like is culturally significant but um it's just kind of one of those things that like i you know no one ever showed it to me or talked to it about me it's not i feel like it's not on tv a lot i could be wrong maybe it was at some point but like i just i never it's just yeah it's just kind of like one of those big cultural landmarks that kind of flew over my head up until today or a few days ago i was um it was two when this came out so the video cassette copy of this film was a pretty hot property by the time I became aware of, you know, movies and stuff. And this, you know, I mean, this movie made $316 million in 1984 money. This wow. movie was, I believe it was the number one movie of the entire, it was the highest grossing film of 1984 in the United States. Um, it, adjusted for Inflation is the third highest grossing R-rated film of all time. It was number one at the box office for 13 consecutive weeks. Um, absolute sensation. I mean, and this was um, this was a key. We had it on video at my house. I'm uh, memorably uh, as a child because videos are very interesting to little kids. Um, destroyed it. <laughs> Not on purpose, not being not due to quality, just because it was there. I destroyed my dad's copy of Beverly Hills Cop. Oh man. Um, but the um and we had my dad was a big fan of this one, and he's a big fan of the sequel, Beverly Hills Cop 2, directed by Tony Scott. But because our copy of Beverly Hills Cop 1 was annihilated, I actually am way more familiar with Beverly Hills Cop 2, like in terms of because we watched it all the time. But then like we ended up getting a replacement copy the first one and watch that all the time too so like the banana the tailpipe thing um genuinely like fast as a like six-year-old i was like does that work i was so interested <laughs> in it and to this day i've also every single box truck i've ever been in i've looked for the chains that are hanging from the side just in case i needed to hang on as it's being driven <laughs> in case yeah, you street really fast <laughs> in case your cigarette uh, yeah. deal goes awry but I remember that as a kid and both my brother and I and like, it's like, this is the greatest thing. We, this guy who's so funny is just flying around in the back of this truck and all the great music. We had the soundtrack on tape and um, it just, yeah. I mean, this, like, it's interesting how you probably knew Eddie Murphy from um, Shrek first. Is my oh, guess. 100%. Yes. Like Shrek, Clump. I think Clumps, honestly, was probably my first. Yeah, to me, by the time I had reached Murphy, he was already kind of like a bit of a, a parody of himself almost, unfortunately. He wasn't like the meteoric 
place yeah. he was in. So like, you know, the, the, the first two Beverly Hills Cop and the Trading Places were just like massive movies mm. at my house growing up. My dad loved all three of them. They're on all of, we watched them all the time. We watched them too young to watch yeah. any of them. <laughs> <laughs> As you should, that rules. Yeah. But I mean, teach like, him, Axel, teach him, yeah. but like you said about Axel kind of being Bugs Buddy, it's like Axel to like a young kid. It's like this guy is the neatest. He's so much fun. Like oh, he, he is. just does things. And like the way he, you know, and obviously Eddie has like one of the most infectious laughs in the history of cinema. Mm-hmm. Like every time, like when those two guys dressed as Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson pass him in Beverly Hills, and he just like laughs at him. Oh. It's just like one scene. It's just like so great. Um, see, that's see, that's why I like this movie, is I feel like it relies less on like jokes specifically like i feel like watching um i can't believe i'm gonna go back to new going in style but watching going in style 2017 you get these like um you get the sense that there are like lines like slug lines like okay this is like a place where like a comedy joke is going to go and he's gonna say a funny thing uh whether it makes sense or not and in this movie it feels so much more natural partially because like Eddie Murphy is such a naturally charismatic and funny human being, but because they have moments where, like, you know, yeah, like, if you saw those two dorks dressed like Michael Jackson, you would laugh. Like, and you seeing, like, What's Eddie like- Murphy do it validates it for you. Yeah. And I think the other thing, too, is that when the movie goes into the action scenes, Eddie's believable fighting and shooting and doing that stuff. Oh, too. 100%. Yeah, he's He's like, he, he's, yeah, he, he's actually someone who can do like both uh, comedy and action. Very funny. You should see the second one too, though. Like in the second one, he comes back. To, obviously, he has to come back to Beverly Hills to work with um, Rosewood and Tagger again. Oh, yeah. And um, Rosewood has become a like dirty, hairy fanatic with a huge collection of guns and like an arsenal and stuff like that. And they have to use, they have to like, Billy, we need your stuff. So they get like rocket launchers and the Uzis and stuff to put like the final confrontation. And obviously in the modern era, a police officer who's a gun nut is very uncomfortable, but in 1986 or whenever (laughs) Wills Cup 2 came out, it was quite funny. Also, it's like, I don't know, there's like this vibe that like, um, this movie on one hand, it feels like, um, like people like respond to each other and act realistically, but there is also like this like sense of playfulness in this film that uh like I don't know like I think it's really really fun on top of yeah that, I think it's just fun like because you like it's like you can tell like like the big thing is like uh, the cops in Beverly Hills like they don't like him mm-hmm. but by the end it's like all of them. T- to bottom like this guy's terrific we love axel we want to be his best friend yeah and oh, they're yeah. Just going along with it and like we are they should um they in the and it's like god you could have like a spin-off with john ashton and judge reinhold you could have like yeah like yeah yuppie in the hump or whatever like they could <laughs> <laughs> like you could 100 because they're such like um funny and well fleshed out characters um that immediately you get their games so quickly Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like uh, Judge Reinhold's a little like green. He's always he's like a little more like open to like, having like, you know, room service given to him or like he's trusting. He's a little slow. 
John Ashton's kind of like the grizzled uh, has been who's like, you know, doesn't want to be look a fool, uh, be made a fool by this uh, young up and coming whippersnapper or Axel Foley. It's, it's great. It's just excellent. But they also like do a really good job of like contrasting the like Detroit police department where everything is like on the line and, you know, you know, everything is falling apart and they got crimes all the time. And in Beverly Hills, it's like, oh, they're literally like jaywalk littering cops. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nothing, 100%. You know? And like, yeah, they're like having to prepare for like, oh, we got like action here. And like, and that's why they need Axel too, because Axel's like understands kind of the gravity of what, you know, when, when it takes, the, when it has, you know, you got to draw the guns and get in the action scenes and stuff like that. Yeah. Not that, but, but even Reinhold and Ashton, when they're trying to climb that fence at the end of it, they can't get over the fence. It's like a comedy of errors. You're like, get over the fence. <laughs> Axel's back. Yeah, he's Axel's already, yeah. He's already there. It's like, funny. You don't, you don't believe for a second Axel's not going to win. No. But at the same time, when he gets shot in the arm, I was like, I, I gasped out loud and I was like, oh no, Axel. Well, that is like, yeah, about him. It is like crazy. That is like the one moment where it's like, it's like, oh, is this gonna be one of those Looney Tunes where like Bugs Buddy loses or like that one insanely weird Tom and Jerry short where Jerry gets like eaten or whatever? There's like one where Jerry loses. It's very bizarre. But, I mean, no, it's 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 very action packed and yeah, it's it, the act. The final sequence is incredibly satisfying. There's a ton of goons and all the bad guys get it in the ways that you want them to get yeah. it. And um, but you know, I think going back to Martin Bress, which was really interesting, something we also alluded to last time around was, you know, this movie does play with those ideas of like authority and the hoity-toity and the upper crust mm-hmm. need to be put in their place by a guy who actually has like lived and yeah. like, knows the rules, like knows the rules of the road and the streets. And like, you know, he, Martin Bress likes these like fast talkers, the mm-hmm. con men, the maybe, maybe living in the gray, but they're not these like the phony rich jerks or whatever. Oh yeah. And- he, he's like a, and he, Oh yeah. Cause it's like, Everywhere Axel goes, he pokes fun at the weird machinations of, like, kind of, like, polite society. Be it, like, the ridiculous art gallery with Bronson T. Oh, what a joke, though. You don't even need to write a line. You just have to show weird stuff and Axel laughing at it. That's all you gotta do. It's like, 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 it rules. That's funny. (laughs) Or, like, when he's, like, in that, like, what was it, like, the warehouse? Like, the office with, like, those, like, um, those like white collar guys who all just look like you know they're just all just like white perfect meathead. I think one of them is like Rick Overton, who's like a really funny uh, supporting yeah. yeah character actor. He's been in like uh, uh, Groundhog Day. He's been in uh, Eight Legged Freaks. Uh, but um, like he goes in there and pretends to be like a some sort of inspector and gets them all flustered. Like he rules. It's just it's excellent. It, it's just a. It's a terrific, a terrific, terrific fun time. <laughs> and just watching them get in, in and out of jams, getting ahead of these, all these dum-dums in Beverly Hills. To, you know, and the, the scene at the top where his friend, who's played by James Russo, they have this wonderful scene where they're hanging out, playing pool. It's kind of a very lived-in scene that would probably be cut down to nothing these days. Um, and then, you know, his, when his friend gets it, you're like, okay, I see why, I see why Axel wants to go on this journey. 
yeah, to try this- and like take care of business. Mm-hmm. Um, should mention uh, the critic at the National Review called it a truly contemptible film. Weird. So, What's contemptible usual, about the, it? The, the, well, it's the National Review. Who knows? Yeah, it's probably, that's probably because it went after the hoity-toity. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, uh, you you weren't popping your monocle when you saw Axel befuddle that art dealer? How dare you? Toss this scamp away. <laughs> you know, like, uh, the, the movie only has an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is relatively low considering... And it's probably, maybe it's grown in esteem since those original reviews is my guess. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, I think it's one of these like, excuse me. Um, you know, don't know what you had kind of moments. It's like, oh, like you took it for granted that the, like, um, like an action comedy could work this well. Mm-hmm. And, you're, and now it's like, because they seem to be impossible to make at the level at this level these days yeah. you're like oh that's a masterpiece but um yeah 83 percent in its uh consensus is the buddy cop movie continues its evolution unabated with this eddie murphy vehicle that's fast furious and funny um should also note this was nominated for best original screenplay at the academy awards and, wow. and at the ggs was nominated for best comedy and best actor in a comedy eddie murphy Hmm. So, I mean, this, but this, you know, this, this movie was a <laughs> utter sensation. I mean, like top to bottom. I mean, I mean, think about a movie like this being the highest grossing movie, it, you know, today. Yeah. No. I don't know. Cause like, I feel like, yeah, it would have to, I'm trying to think of what you would have to do. It would have to be like the rock in like the Axel Foley type role. And he'd be written bad jokes. Oh, yeah. Well, and it'd be like PG-13. It'd be not as funny. It wouldn't have a banging score. No. No. It would, I mean, uh, yeah. Oh, man. It'd probably it, just be ripping off Inception score or something like that. Maybe, yeah. I think it would even be more, like, bad. <laughs> I think it would be like, yeah, yeah, it, wouldn't, yeah. it wouldn't have, like, the oof, oomph of an Inception ripoff. But, uh, you know... One thing that is interesting to me about um, these three movies is um, there's like no uh, there's no love interest in any of these films, which is kind of interesting. Um, this run, <laughs> dudes rock. <laughs> oh yeah, it's very dudes rock, and it's not no, it's not a bad thing. I'm not like a, it's also no. I almost kind of like it that like um, there's actually something kind of uh, like uh, pleasant about. Uh, Jenny and Axel not like you know macking you know what I he mean. He just like, likes her. Yeah, he's she's just one of his friends. Yeah, uh, totally. It's like a friendship yeah. thing. Yeah, but it's like I wonder. Like, you're right. This even goes to Hot Tomorrows in terms of uh, new theme, folks. Uh, if you're writing down the themes that we're discovering in this miniseries, male friendships, male friendships, yeah, and friendships in general, but in particular male friendships. I've run through every movie we have watched in the breast years of our lives thus far already yeah oh okay oh i think you've been all of the movies okay never mind you're just okay well i mean i know we can talk about um scent of a woman oh yeah father son but um certainly a certain we spoiler alert we've already seen scent of a woman <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah i think like i think there's just something i think martin breast is not a romantic too i think there's like just like a part of him that's like he does not although like this i guess could, like, this could be why Gili 
Yeah. Felt like uh, rubbing sandpaper together in those scenes. <laughs> oh, truly. Yeah, truly. Because it, it's like, yeah, I, God, now I want to see Meet Joe Black more than ever. I'm so, I'm so excited. Yeah, uh, that's kind of, and I have not, I've never seen that before either. I mean, I, to be perfectly honest, and we've been wrong about many movies going in style just last week. Uh, oh, surface, surface assumption was it was going to be a stinker. Um, my surface assumption is Meet Joe Black is going to be a tough a slog of yeah it will be but i at least i have like um at least i have like uh stuff to look out for and like i'm watching someone who makes films with purpose at least so Mm -hmm. like that kind of will hopefully help me through i think it's gonna help me through son of a woman again yeah yeah it's interesting though is i'm really curious because with this one and the next film we're going to talk about he shows such a touch Mm-hmm. with comedy yes um why you know and, and as we know he started after midnight run he began developing rain man and then he moved on to scent of a woman like what was he looking for and getting away was it just another creative challenge i wonder or was it more respectful glory or um mm-hmm. i don't know i mean i will probably discover that as we go on maybe i don't know i think we might end up just being guesses but this movie just kind of like and the way he does like i mean it shows his skill as a director and kind of you know capturing the lightning in a bottle that was eddie murphy at this peak moment Mm -hmm. of his career and this youthful like you know because it could have been like a no offense, like these movies, I don't actually have a problem with these movies at all, but a Judd Apatow thing where you just set up a camera and let him riff mm. because that could have worked. It really could have, but it doesn't feel like he's riffing. It feels like he's just this care. This, this is what Axel does. It isn't like what the improvisers Judd Apatow hires do when they're improv- just improvising and doing their like bits and then their kind of thing. Like, it's very, I don't know if it's just because Eddie Murphy feels like a movie star more so than anybody else, but I feel like Martin Brest really, um, you know, this could have gotten out of control. It could have been wild. I mean, maybe even if they had done it two or three years later when Eddie was a bigger star and had more control, it would, that would have happened. But, you know, he keeps it in line with the story. Everything is about this story about Axel solving this case and kind of avenging his friend who was killed everything kind of goes in that and every challenge he faces and how he uses humor to get out of challenges rather than using humor because a it's a comedy he has to be funny <laughs> yeah. yeah that's the thing it's like the, what's so great about this movie is nothing um there's like a dual things happening where simultaneously none of the comedy feels forced but then on top of that, that's in part of it. I, I have a feeling that's uh, partly because of Martin Brest's specificity and attention to detail as a director. I think the thing that separates him from Judd Apatow in that regard in relation to comedy is that uh, Martin Brest is not the type of person, I think, who would just be like, uh, you know, okay, let's, like, we're going to let you roll. Although he does, like, I mean, didn't, like, Eddie Murphy, like, improvise a lot of his parts, though? Never mind. Maybe I take that I think back. That, I mean, at least, at least he rewrote a lot of his parts. At least he rewrote, um, yeah. Um, I mean, I, he may have, but I think it, it feels so much more um, 
like a filmmaker's guiding hand is yeah there. like that's what, that's um, what I, I guess the other thing yeah. too is this movie's 105 minutes long mm-hmm. takes care of business gets in on it. it's not like the appetite ones run like 140 minutes and i think that that's an you know they they're they're they've got a lot of loose loose flesh to them well that's because this, yeah this like, one's I'll- high and tight Yep, that's because, yeah, nothing feels wasted. Everything goes to the plot in this. Apatow's very much a guy who's like, okay, we have a couple minutes to kill here. Let's uh, let's talk about, you know, uh, Mr. Skin for 20 minutes or whatnot. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and this this one, again, the humor comes out of the narrative, and the narrative is what guides this movie. Man, yeah. I, I will say, too, that um, it's interesting that, like, uh, Lisa Eilbacker, Jenny, like, She's really not in a lot of other films. She kind of like her career. She uh, she uh, retired from acting kind of young. And uh, but one of them, I have to say, there's a movie called Never Say Die that I almost I want to watch because it's it's like a New Zealand uh, James Bond parody, and it's like Tamira Tamira Morrison in the uh, James Bond like role. And then I think the bad guy, just based on the cast, I think the bad guy is played by George Went. George Went is the bad. Guy. So oh, I'm yeah. like looking at her filmography, though. I mean, she's in Leviathan, this uh, aquatic horror movie that I'm planning to watch this spooky season. I've never seen it before. Ooh. And then uh, she's in. <laughs> you could cast a judgment on our household all you want. She is in our house, a favorite of our household, Charles Bronson's Ten to Midnight. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Um, she does, um, oh yeah, she plays Bronson's daughter in that one. Oh no, that's that can't was, be good. Yeah, <laughs> and it, uh, one of the sleaziest movies ever made. <laughs> By the. <laughs> I, I just just looking at like you got that Jay Lee Thompson directory direction. Yeah. You got 80s that eighties can't canon Jay Lee Thompson Bronson. It's a, it's a potent combination. Oh man, yeah, no, I bet that is a that is a film that is just uh, just Bronson covered in a, seven, a be- seventy years old. <laughs> it's a beautiful coat of slime. What am I doing in this movie? I should have saved my money better. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Oh Charlie. I love, love but. Folks, if you if you haven't watched like a couple uh, about a year or so ago, Jen bought me a VCR for uh, my birthday. And one of the first videos I picked up was actually Beverly Hills Cop one. And we watched it with a group of friends, uh, socially distanced and (laughs) part of one of the peaks of the quarantine uh, over here at our apartment on the 4th of July. And um, we all just were going nuts for this movie. I watched it again the other day felt the same way this movie's a banger if you haven't seen it in a while check it out if you've Mm. never seen it definitely check it out it is so much fun rightfully has its place in like the all-time action comedies buddy comedies um and you know a lot of that you know clearly put martin breast on the map as a um you know director (laughs) major major director in hollywood I mean, he made the biggest movie of 1984. I would say that, like, yeah, Beverly Hills Cop, if you were to take, like, ten movies from every decade, like, the most important movies of that decade, Beverly Hills Cop definitely makes the top ten list, probably makes the top five. I mean, I you put this with, you know, put this with Back to the Future, put this with yeah. E.T., you put this with um, 
Oh golly, Die Hard. Die Hard, um, yeah, that's another one. You know, maybe RoboCop. Indiana I mean, just, Jones. Indiana, yeah, one of those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, just kind of the movies that kind of that you know wasn't a big box office hit, but I think you, I think you have to put the thing for the 1980s yeah. in that group at this 100%. point. Um, just these movies that kind of like. It, if you think it captured the imagination of the characters on the TV series Stranger Things, then, then that would be one of these movies. Yeah, 100%. Oh, yeah. And you bet your ass all those Stranger oh, Things kids were just quoting. Go- Ghostbusters would be another one you'd put. Oh, that, yeah, right? of course. Of course, yeah. Ghostbusters. You got to put you gotta put those little Ghostbusters in there. And, do, and dudes only Ghostbusters, please. <laughs> uh, yeah, get out of here, Kate McKinnon. Get out of here. Just, just joking, everybody. Just kidding. I, we're not, yeah, we're not those odious, like, I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, not on Reddit, just posting. Can, can you imagine all those assholes getting together? It's like, what's the most depressing hill for us to die on? Yeah. Oh, hating the girl Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna spend the next, uh, four years of my life just, uh, getting pissed off about, a uh, Slimer. I will say this. I like, I, I'm a fan of the original Ghostbusters. But if your entire life lives and dies on respecting or whatever yeah. the original Ghostbusters movie, you got to find something else to do. That's just a, that's a piece of Don Saunderson advice right there. It's just like it's not even like because like with Star Wars, I, I don't understand it still because like it's like live your life, dog, like read a book. There's, find, no, myth- find there's no mythology to Ghostbusters. It's four Saturday night or it's three, three, like second city comedians in ernie hudson yeah like doing 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 a one-off movie in which there's one scene where it goes down on dan Aykroyd. that isn't like high <laughs> that's not high mythology that's just yeah. a bad joke <laughs> it's yeah it's not like it's not lore. like yeah like those motherfuckers like people that are like so obsessed with like the minutiae of like, yeah, not even like Marvel movies, like Ghostbusters, like a two-film franchise with a shitty 80s cartoon. Like, motherfucker, like, you know, find religion, dog, or fucking like, you know, read a book or like, like, yeah, take a like, walk. yeah, take a walk, like, you know, start dating. I don't know, man. Like, you need to like, yeah, like become a Zoroaster. Fucking get, get really into food. I don't know. Yeah, like... Uh, yeah. Like, read fucking Hegel. Become an asshole who likes Hegel. Because at least, like, you can be that way. You can be like at least like pedantic, which is like I guess like a step above. I saw the new one um, at the Vista opening day. Mm-hmm. We ran into a bunch of people who we knew from the world of comedy. It was a sold-out show. And guess what we all did? We had a blast. It was a fun time at the movie theater. I haven't really <laughs> thought about the new one since, except for to tell jokes about the dum-dums who hate it. Hate it. Um, it is truly one of the funniest. The, the idea It is like such a funny, the idea of someone just like getting angry about uh, like a ghost buster being a lady like you know like or like well, getting, all, like, all we all we have left is culture we have no there's no, <sighs> i mean it's like there's no say in politics there's no say in any of this other stuff you know everything is burning we don't want to get too dark but yeah that's so true. all there all that's left is culture so when you go back to 1984 and watch beverly hills cop a movie that's trying to say perhaps have a little bit of a slobs versus snobs argument but for the most part, it's just a romp. 
enjoyable time yeah with a big movie star <laughs> is that so much more fun than trying to shoehorn like the quote-unquote right things into a movie yeah it is 100 <laughs> percent. yeah but it's also like yeah but you're not like i don't know it's like yeah if you're like someone who gets just like fucking fine become a scientologist <laughs> like, like, just find find an esoteric religion that you can imagine, become an Eastern Orthodox. Even the Scientologists, though, they start auditing you. It's like, what's what are you feeling really deep inside? I'm really upset about the girl Ghostbusters. Like, get the hell out of here! <laughs> like, yeah, we can't. Yeah, we can't. We can't. We can't tell with this dog. We can't. Even we can't. even even Zenu thinks that's lame. <laughs> That's too late for Zenu. <laughs> too late for Zenu. There, there's a t-shirt. <laughs> too late. Oh, too man. late for Zenu. So yeah, check out Beverly Hills Cop. I mean, Very it's good. Just, it's it's slick. It's really it 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 holds up. It's it's got a, it's it's all happening in Beverly Hills Cop. But mm-hmm. you know, so the the kind of the the world was available to Martin Brest after Beverly Hills Cop, but if we've got to know anything about Martin Brest, he takes his time between things, mm-hmm. and it took another four years for his next directorial. He did a brief, like, acting job in Spies Like Us. I don't, I don't know why he was in Spies Like Us. The um, uh, Directed by John Landis, Chevy Chase, Stan Aykroyd romp. Um another vhs i had as a kid because if chevy chase or dan Aykroyd were in it it was a, we had we had a copy of it yeah <laughs> hey that movie would if we did a don dan Aykroyd or a chevy chase bracket that it would be, kind of, it would it would be, be yeah. yeah for better or for worse so but it took till 1988 um to win the next film that martin breast made midnight run Starring Robert De Niro, Charles Grodin, Yafet Koto, John Ashton, Dennis Farina, Joe Pantoliano, Jack Kehoe, Philip Baker Hall. I mean, just like heavy hitters down the line. Um, the on the script, we should give credit to the script for George Gallo because it's a it's a hell of a damn screenplay. Oh, yeah. um, budgeted at thirty five million, made eighty one point six, so another hit. Not Beverly Hills Cop level hit, but you know what was going to be what was going to be uh, i have no idea um but yeah they so a couple interesting um interesting facts about this um after completing untouchables robert de niro this was kind of the first time in his career he wanted to appear in a comedy he wanted to do something light he you know we all know bobby d heavy 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 stuff for most of his early career um <laughs> He so he started looking around hard. He um, first pursued uh, the lead role in Big. Mm. Penny Marshall wanted him. The studio did not want him, and they went with Tom Hanks. End of the day, probably the right call. <laughs> you know, I would say. <laughs> yeah. um, simultaneously, Martin Brest was developing the Midnight Run script with George Gallo. He saw the elements that act the action comedy in this script. Knew. That's all. That's that's a that's in his um, without a doubt in his wheelhouse. So um, De Niro immediately, you know, after checking it out, was like, "Oh, this sounds like a I'm I'm in. I play the Jack Walsh part, you know. I think the end. De Niro, we'll get to it in just a moment. De Niro was correct that it was a 
the right call for him to play the Jack Walsh part. But mm. um, the original studio, Paramount, um, was interested in Midnight Run, but they wanted another big star across from Robert De Niro. And uh, to improve the box office chances, uh, production executives actually said that they could um, switch the gender on the Mardukas character and cast Cher as the Duke (laughs) to create some sexual overtones. Uh, Martin Brest said, nope. (laughs) <laughs> to that uh and then paramount suggested robin williams to play the duke which probably i mean he would have had to tone it down a little but they probably yeah. would have made duke it, the duke instead of neurotic they would have made him manic to, yeah <laughs> to, uh, it uh, yeah there are shades of that also gotta say really quickly uh you know about the sexual tension thing you know they may have given the, the they may have, you know, not cast a lady, but the sexual tension, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I guess we'll say it right now. Um, perhaps the greatest plutonic love affair in the history of cinema is portrayed in this film. <laughs> they, sh- they should kiss and fuck in the end. They should just oh, kiss and fuck. Oh, no. In, in, in the next life. In the, in the next, next life. life. <laughs> yes, in another life. <laughs> in another life. Um, yeah. <laughs> they also took a look at uh, Bruce Willis for The Ooh, Duke. That's actually uh, not bad. You know, yeah. Different movies, but... You know, it's it's so fun just imagining all these different. Um, he got done, he got done in a one six hour day. Shot all shot his entire role. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some, somehow they had Zoom back in the eighties, and he was <laughs> in his. And, and um, so Charles Grodin auditioned for the role with De Niro, and Martin Brest was like, "I'm this is this, I think this is the guy." Yeah. Um. Paramount, though, was like, I don't see the, the cash in that. So they, um, they went over to Universal um, after Paramount declared it, the budget was too high. Um, but they went with Grodin for the role of the Duke. And you have to say, um, this was a, war- a genius move. A genius move. Because the mm. chemistry between... De Niro kind of, you know, I mean, going back to Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, kind of plays a guy in his own world, like a very internal guy, a very doesn't work play well with others kind of guy. And for some some way, somehow, Grodin brings out a humanity in De Niro that is, I've never seen it before in, in De Niro. And I should say, um, this was a first time watch for me. I am honestly stunned i'd never seen this movie before like same this came out in the right time period it is the right genre <laughs> I, yeah and when i say same i mean same for you because like yeah. this is like this is a dawn movie if i ever if there ever was one i i called my dad the next day after <laughs> watching it and i go dad have you ever seen me that right he goes no i never saw it i explained it to him I'm like why didn't we watch this this is like right here for us and he's like <laughs> Like, it does sound good. I was like, "Yeah, of course it sounds good. You'll love it." Like, oh, man, you I'm, watch- I'm gonna, we're gonna watch it on Thanksgiving when he's here because I gotta like, to, I gotta my my brother will be here too. Oh my like, guys, where were we on this one? We were almost forty years too late on this one. <laughs> oh, man. oh my gosh! But um, they, the the De Niro um, attributed a lot of the film's eventual success to Charles Grodin. 
He said, the way Chuck Corodin is, it worked. His character was irritating, and Chuck knew how to do that, to work that. I feel like that was a good way to go. <laughs> and it's true. Like, the movie, I guess, yeah, um, was this your first time seeing it? I guess you asked that, too. Oh, 100%. Like, uh, first time seeing it, like, knew virtually nothing about this movie. Um, knew virtually nothing about Charles Grodin, which is I now want to, oh. like, search out more of his... Because I just haven't seen a lot of Grodin's work. I've never seen, like, Clifford or... I think I probably know him best from Great Muppet Caper, maybe? Um, oh, yeah. That was the, I, that one and uh, Beethoven were the ones oh, that I Beethoven. knew when I was a kid. Because he yeah. really got upset when that damn St. Bernard was on his bed all covered in mud. Oh, no. Oh, oh no. no. Oh, that's St. Oh, Bernard. No. Mm, take him to the pound, I say. <laughs> yeah. Take him to the ground. <laughs> Mama, what happened to Beethoven? Oh, he, we, he moved to a farm upstate. <laughs> yeah. uh, we gave him some, uh, gave him some uh, hippies in Needle Park. Oh gosh, <laughs> that's, that's better than the one I was. I was gonna do. Um, <laughs> what happened to Beethoven? Well, have, you looked, have you looked at your dinner plate? <laughs> Oh, for dinner. Uh, I just want to recreate the scene where the puppy goes off the boat and panic, but with just giant ass Beethoven <laughs> squeezing. You know, like a, like a hundred, 160 pound dog trying to run off of a damn ferry. He breaks the fucking, <laughs> the fucking barbs, the fence. He breaks the, the, the railing. Um, Serpico, had, Serpico could have had a Beethoven. Oh, 100%. Yeah, he had a Beethoven. and he probably had a Muppet too. Like, he probably yeah, speaking had like. Of Serpico, speaking of Serpico, Jack Kehoe. Oh, yeah. Mixing this, and I love so you love to see him. Uh, Academy, Academy favorite, uh, Hall of Fame contender, frankly. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, Charles Grodin, you know, I we Beethoven was a video we had. The Great Muppet Caper was a video we had. But yeah, getting to know his like dry comic. Mm-hmm. side i mean he's in rosemary's baby he's been he was around forever <laughs> like, that is like, fascinating yeah he is like uh i did not realize he um when he passed away he was 86 he's like similar age to, he's older than al pacino yeah yeah um, i I did, yeah. I did not know when i was a kid like watching like, oh, he's like kind of old <laughs> like, but you know and it's, and it's funny he dyes his hair he definitely ties his hair in this movie to look yeah. really younger and stuff like that um i guess we should actually though uh mention kind of a do a brief log line of this movie yeah. um bounty hunter jack walsh who is played by uh robert de niro is enlisted to bring a mob accountant jonathan the duke mardukas back to los angeles mm-hmm. uh finds him in um new york and what follows is a antics filled journey across the country with just a variety of fun faces getting in the way of this and um one could imagine when writing the script they just wrote down every method of travel and said we got to get them to do each of these things are they flying yep are they taking a train yeah they're taking a car yeah just down at what kind of car all the kinds of cars <laughs> antics are had prats fall like it all it's so it's so these both of these movies just have that like looney tunes energy where you, you feel that anything could happen the energy is incredible and the way it just mm-hmm. builds and the way all the people chasing them so some of the folks on their trail include um yafet koto who plays special agent alonzo mosley of the fbi who whose idea is stolen by Robert De Niro very early in the movie 
and becomes just an excellent nonstop source of running gag. Oh, yeah. Both De Niro and Grodin taking on the Mosley character to get things, to get away with things. Um, everyone in this is like pretty smart because yeah. like it's nobody like is it a total ding dong. Even Dorfler, who's her, oh, John Ashton, who we met in Beverly Hills Cop, absolute king, plays Marvin Dorfler, a rival. A bounty hunter who wants who wants part of the game and then discovers that he's De Niro's being paid more, which is very funny. <laughs> uh, by the bail bondsman who's played by Joe Pantoliano in a part that only Joe Pantoliano could do, just a classic Joe Pantoliano. Oh, part. it's so good. What a king. And Pantoliano's sidekick is Jack Kehoe. And then the gangster who's after all of them is the great Dennis Farina, played by Jimmy Serrano, who's number one guy is the very skeptical, but can't really say it, Philip Baker Hall. Um, <laughs> and it's just all of these people converging all the way across the country. The gangsters having just endless amounts of goons. The, um, the, the FBI having endless amounts of FBI agents to send after them. Uh, mistakes, mistaken identities, tricks, just down the line. It's so much fun. And you can tell everyone involved is having fun. Oh yeah. And and, uh, and 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 also like Charles Grodin um is so good at needling and being yeah. like a uh, he just every uh it feels like every line of dialogue he has is not there's no line of dialogue he has that's wasted. Every line of dialogue he has is used to either try to help himself get out of the situation he's in, or to poke fun at like uh, Jack Walsh. It's a, it's great. Or trying to take something to his advantage to get out of his situation. Yes, constantly being like, if I save you, you'll free me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he annoys the hell. And so De Niro is. They really do a great job with De Niro's guy in this, too, of being like, okay, he's this, like, kind of shady bounty hunter. But then we start to get to know it's like, oh, you know, he was, like, a good cop, and he got kind of dicked over. And, like, oh, he's he's actually kind of a good guy. He's a Chicago Serpico. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, you know, he's not, like, oh, as they built, as they open him up, you know, he's he's got a really tough exterior, but he's, like, a, he's human. Yeah. Of that. And at the same time, the Duke is so annoying and so neurotic, but he's revealed to be a smart, soulful guy, too. And they slowly build up over the course. I mean, this movie is 126 minutes long, which is a little is a little long, yeah. I guess, for something of this sort, but it doesn't feel like it. it doesn't it, this movie moves. It's got a great pace, great tone, great, great, just set piece after set piece after set piece. And, and I think like on top of that, they do such a great job of fleshing out the world. All the other side characters are interesting, have fun moments. And then they um, there's like a great scene that I feel like nowadays, if they were to make this movie, they would probably cut it. Where like uh, Robert De Niro kind of visits his uh, his like his his old family in Chicago mm. and that kind of like that scene for me was like the grounding I needed for everything to work moving forward because suddenly it put his character in a totally different light 
uh, you gave you it, it kind of provides Robert De Niro's yeah. sort of uh, mean, irascible uh, uh, bounty hunter character with humanity. Yeah. And it also because the Duke is the one who suggests it. And at first you think the Duke is suggesting it as kind of like a a ploy, like a psychological mm-hmm. game. But you realize the Duke is suggesting it because he's like cares about family. He cares about people. And he wants, you know, and he's just he's he's weird, mm-hmm. but he's a good guy. And oh, um, and then it all kind of Leads up all these shenanigans and everything like that to an ending that's, you know, we won't necessarily tell you all of the shenanigans that get to this ending, mm-hmm. but it does matter that when they part, it's genuinely like moving. And yeah. you like, you care so much. And the look on De Niro's face is like, I may, I've met someone, I met a good person, I met a friend. Yeah, and it's real. And De Niro's like almost bemused, like, and he can't believe it. And just kind of look on his face, like, wow, I can't believe, like, I like you and amazing. But at the same time, there, you know, and it has the, you know, and people, because Groden passed away earlier this year, you know, seemed to have lived an amazing life. You know, God bless him. He rules. Yeah. Um, they, but they, they, the way that they look at each other and people, yeah, again, people were bringing this up a lot when Groden passed away and placing this clip online, but, and then they just simply say to each other, you know, they know that they cannot be like golf buddies or watch the game on Sundays, buddies. probably, they probably will never see each other again. The second this movie ends, Mm -hmm. but you know, they realize what they had, what they had this like compressed time period was, so special and when they say to each other i'll you know maybe in the next life you know it, it's it is like almost a romance yeah it is like, like a hundred romance there it is like the it is like you feel like they're like star-crossed lovers that have been re- it's like hawkman like the whole hawkman lore about how like uh hawkman and hawkwoman have been like reincarnated hundreds of times and they were once in the wild west and found each other they were in like ancient egypt and they found each other and you get the sense that maybe like robert de niro and charles Grodin like spiritually have been soulmates and are constantly finding each other in every generation they're reborn well it's Uh, also very much how romantic comedies play out in which oh my god these two are opposites man i can't believe it but guess what oh man it's like a James Carville and uh, his wife, a oh. Republican and a Democrat. Oh, my what? God. What in the hell? That doesn't seem real. That's impossible. The... That's impossible. What in the hell? Uh, if you uh, told me that was a movie, I wouldn't believe it. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Charles Grodin might be the best. I was trying to I was mulling over in my head the best like white collar uh, goof actors. And like, you know, I think Ed Beagley Jr. Uh, Phil Hartman, of course. Yeah, Phil Hartman has to. Phil Harmon could have played the Duke. Oh, a hundred. Like I would love years, to see. Eight or nine years later. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to see that. Too. But like, uh, but Charles Grodin is like, I think might be one of the best, if not the best, just like, um, well, just that boring white guy. Who's uh, super funny. <laughs> one of my all time favorite Grodin moments. It's a single scene. It's the, um, soy married an ax murderer where uh, Anthony LaPaglia needs to take, he's a cop trying to get to Mike Myers and he needs to uh, commandeer. Groden's car and he goes can I take your car and Groden goes no 
<laughs> just, kind of, just like he won't give it. He goes, "Can I get a ride?" Then he goes, "Sure." And then he gets he gets to the car. He goes, "Can you go any faster?" And he's like, "I'm going as fast as I can." <laughs> You're just like, <laughs> it's just so funny so because good. the entire movie is like. Anthony LaPaglia's character is like he even says like I thought I was going to be Serpico <laughs> then he's living this like he's like filling paperwork and so, so he finally gets to be in action and he's like I'm going to commandeer a car <laughs> it's Charles Grodin who just won't give him anything <laughs> like, oh that's so funny that rules one of my favorite movies growing up another Don classic so I'm an axe murderer oh man a, a Thomas Schlamy joint oh yeah uh, Sorkin who ended up working quite a bit with our friend Darren Sorkin too huh? On the, yeah. he was kind of created to help create the walk and talk on the West Wing ah. as the director of those episodes. Ah. But yeah, this is this is a this is a great great movie. Like, yeah, it might work even better as like a clever movie than Beverly Hills Cop. Like Beverly Hills Cop runs so much on Axel Foley mm. and Eddie Murphy just being this meteoric star. This one is like the ensemble the tricks in the script, the surprises of everything that's happening in it. Martin yeah. Brest's deaf direction of like all of the emotional tones that are going on. It's, it's really solid. It, it's an interesting thing because it does have some of the themes of Martin Brest's kind of distrust of authority, mm-hmm. male friendships as we described yeah. as well. Also kind of, um, you know, get back to the end of it, just kind of this like life being short and maybe not fair and maybe not um, kind of almost a cosmic element to it. Yeah. That, and, you know, again, but I'm going back to even going in style. It's like the, 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 the bonds, the male friendship. Mm-hmm. Just thinking, thinking about all that. And I, all that's, all that's back in this one. I think, from what we've seen thus far, I know you said going in style was your number one. I, I got to have Midnight Run as my number one right now um, as we've got going into this series. I just think this movie, like, for, uh, for an action buddy comedy, mm-hmm. can, you, can you think of a better one? That's actually a pretty good point. I can't off the top of my head, at least initially. Yeah, because it's like, Oh, God, I think of the ones that came out, like the best one from like the 2010s is, I guess, like the 21 Gem Street remake. Um, There's that or maybe the Nice Guys. Oh, Nice Guys. Yeah, um, but this is better than Nice Guys, though. This is better than Nice Guys. Yeah, yeah. and I say that with like, you know, Nice Guys is awesome. I love Nice Guys. Oh, but uh, Nice Guys, though. But Nice Guys, Shane Black does know the genre that the entire idea of noir is that the story should make occasionally not make sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's kind of you know paul thomas anderson did that in inherent vice too yeah i think, actually think inherent vice has got some midnight elements to it as well oh and that's interesting you know because we know pta is a fan of martin press and he's a fan of midnight run um we've talked also about that ben affleck and matt damon think this is like the best movie ever made um, it is like yeah it's kind like of they would perfect... kill they would kill to make one that what they got both got to be in together that was oh. like this you know what? Here's my take. They should, um, you know how Quentin Tarantino wants to remake, uh, make a movie starring uh, Adam Driver? Mm-hmm. They should do a Midnight Run remake, Quentin Tarantino directing, you get Adam Driver in the Robert De Niro role, and then you get Andy Daly in the <laughs> Charles Grodin role, and that would that would be, and then you get Mike Mitchell in the John Ashton role. 
God damn. Oh, and yeah, huh. hashtag more Mitch. More hashtag Mitch. Hashtag more Mitch. Ugh, what a movie that would be. How, how that would fun. Be so much fun. Yeah. yeah what, let's see it happen. Because uh, um, yeah, Andy Daly is honestly the only, he's honestly the only living actor, I think, that can take the mantle from Charles yeah, Grodin. Thinking, thinking about him as an actor, too. Like, obviously, he's very funny, but I mean, the way that they took that review show mm-hmm. from being one thing to being this, like, stating study of a loser loser middle-aged white guy whose life is destroyed by his commitment to his job Uh, is is startling it it was like i just couldn't believe that the way the the way that they took this idea of like he does him on the show but they ruin his life like utterly ruin his life oh yeah and the way it builds it out a really interesting show Oh yeah, and oh, yeah. and and then you have James Urbaniak as the uh, the producer who, who gets like, paralyzed understand- at one point too. I mean, oh, just like so good. It's it's a pretty devastating dark show. <laughs> um, but yeah, this uh, Rotten Tomato. Yeah, I think that that's a. It can be yeah. It's interesting, folks. If you have a pitch for um, a a good neurotic annoying guy to be a sidekick to a leading man yeah. in a Midnight Run remake, send it our way. Um, yep. Hashtag annoying but lovable. Yep. Annoying but lovable. Uh, movie has a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Deserved. Uh, critical consensus is enlivened by the antagonistic chemistry between Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin. Midnight Run is an uncommonly entertaining odd couple comedy. Um, cinema score, the audience average grade was an A. Um interesting here's a bad review david anson in newsweek the outline of george gallo's script odd couple antagonists become buddies under perilous circumstances was stale five years ago the outcome offers no surprises too bad a lot of good work has been wasted on an unworthy cause dave lighten up chill the (laughs) fuck out brother yeah Yeah, it's if you can't enjoy midnight run you don't gotta you don't have a heart this is like what people want i think when they talk about like the joy of enjoying a movie like yeah or it's like a thing where like it starts off believable it slowly becomes larger and then life but in a way that's like splendid like man like like it's a classic movie moment when charles groden gets the fucking plane like that's such a that's nero's chasing it down and it's just uh, like Again, it's not, and it's not hat on hat. It's like every scene heightens. It's it is a this is this it's a masterwork. Is a fine, this is a fine movie. It's a masterwork of its genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it makes you think. So Martin Brass has made two of the top fun movies mm-hmm. of the nineteen eighties in um, Beverly Hills Cop and Midnight Run. Now. Do you do you think is it that he's and he only made two movies in the eighties? Interestingly enough, yeah. Uh, do you think is he bored by this genre? Oh, does he not want to get pigeonholed as the guy who does like action comedies? Because um, it wasn't like action comedies in nineteen eighty eight, uh, unless you're David Anson, uh, were stale. They were going to be making plenty more action comedies and like odd couple comedies and that kind of thing. I mean. You know, and this even goes to films like, you know, Rush Hour, 
later on would be an example of kind of an action comedy, buddy comedy type thing, or, you know, even non-action movies like Grumpy Old Men or Step Brothers or The Hangover. Yeah, big I think bully. The Hangover has a ton of Midnight Run in its um, yeah. DNA. It's like, yeah, definitely like, yeah, it is like, um, what's that movie, Multiplicity, where they keep cloning and the clones kind of come out a little shittier mm-hmm. every time. Yeah, Hangover is like a 57th clone of Midnight Run. <laughs> I think I'm a little easier on the hangover than you are. But, uh, uh, maybe I, like, I, you know, the first one's okay, I guess. Probably. I, think, um, I think it's just, you know, this is a broader topic, but comedy sequels are not usually the best idea in the world. Yeah. Because um, comedy's kind of capturing, again, going back to the idea that like, the lightning in the bottle. Mm-hmm. That I mean, and I like Beverly Hills Cop too, but Beverly Hills Cop two is pretty much a taken to eleven in terms mm. of more violence, more lewd comedy, yeah. more over the top version. It's same thing with Lethal Weapon two to Lethal Weapon one. I mean, it's just um, yeah, more is better ostensibly. And I theory. think too, if back Hangover is one of its last of its kind as well, where um, a movie kind of like not it's not it's not like a new marvel movie or a new dc movie where it's hyped to the moon it's not fucking dune or something it's just Mm -hmm. like oh okay here's a movie that's coming out but then it's like people saw it and they told their friends and they were like oh you know this was pretty damn funny this was an enjoyable movie it's around and that used to happen so much more yeah you know the last time that's happened unfortunately it has to be the greatest showman i think that's and that might be the last time in history that happens for all i know well, they're so packaged and so like, I mean, I know we're all rooting, um, mm-hmm. you know, to go back in time, we're recording this before Friday, but I think there is this element of like, wouldn't it be neat if Cry Macho made a hundred million dollars at the oh, box that'd office be sick. COVID or, you know, be I like, know out of nowhere, a 91 year old man in a non-franchise <laughs> has a massive hit. And that I, like, that's neat. If you I, ask me, I'm at a point where like, I want, Free Guy, a movie I personally found odious. Like I, 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 uh, I loathe that film. Watching it, hated it. Pretty much, almost hated every minute. There are some redeemable aspects to it. Probably, I, maybe I'm a bit harsh, but I think like I was just that movie kind of felt like an ulcer forming in my soul as I was watching it. Like it felt like it, it, it injured me spiritually, but just because it is like an original property, there is a part of me that like does hope that like free guy uh, is able to like, you know, make some con just so that there's hope, you know, just so that there's hope of new things. Because the hype machine, it gets you like, you want to see it. But then after you've seen it, it's like, well, that didn't surprise me at all. It did exactly like, I think like um, a prime example of actually one like this that worked recently was get out would be a great example i think of you know obviously it had a some hype coming out of sundance Mm -hmm. people were like oh this is pretty damn good but it was still like a comedian doing a blumhouse movie so you know but the fact that it was more than that that everybody who saw it told their friends that you gotta check this This is cool you gotta check this movie out it's pretty damn good movie and everyone ended up seeing it and it made like 300 million bucks well, what's interesting, too, is, like, now, like, Jordan Peele is, like, one of those few directors now where, like, 
all you need is his name. It's like Christopher Nolan. He's like one of the, those are like maybe the two directors from the 21st century that can like, you know, make stuff. I guess, you know, there's maybe a couple other ones I can't think of off the top of my head right now. You know, obviously your Spielbergs and whatnot, but yeah, uh, I mean, and Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, Quentin. Yeah, but the, um, but I th- I'm talking like people that kind of like made movies like, yeah, like who be- who kind of earned their nut in the 2000s. And like, yeah. uh, and yeah. uh, it's just, um, uh, yeah, you hope that some more of that type of stuff comes out. Um, yeah, because like even though us didn't, entirely worked for me like it was still a cool movie like like it had great vibes oh big time the aesthetic was awesome yeah yeah i mean and you can see like with a little more cash he's got this really he's got a broad vision Mm -hmm. and and the look was so good you know oh man i mean i don't know why they had cool scissors and robes and stuff like that. None of that really makes sense, but yeah, yeah. gives a shit. It looked that, great. That's, that's the thing. <laughs> that's like the, that's like yeah. Us is like the type of movie where like you know what some like, legitimate he, scares in us. Oh man, the Tim Heidecker Elizabeth Moss. Uh, I guess it is possible, but I mean Midnight Run is just seeing it. You're like, what a neat thing. I wish like a movie would come out like this. That like even if it was like I don't know Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman. Or, I mean, not the most enticing thing in the world, but with a good script. Oh, they're both talented enough. The, the, you know, and a director of Martin Bress' kind of real, like, workmanlike skill. Mm-hmm. Although, it, this it's hard. It's hard to make a... Con- I mean, just like a horror movie where you got to time those scares and make sure everything surprises you. Comedies that work like this narrative that are narrative based situationally based that do surprise you and then have an emotional connection at the end of it it's tough it's mm-hmm. really this is this is like really top of the line craftsmanship i mean it's not like an ingmar bergman movie where you're like oh man he's got so much to say about the universe or something like that but craft is craft and i'm sure bergman and Kubrick would be the first to say Midnight Run rocked. <laughs> like, oh, a hundred percent. And it's like, well, it's like a movie. It's like a rare movie. That's the entire package. It's like, it's funny and technically very competent. Like not a lot of movies. Action packed. Yeah. Everything so works. There's a hell, there's a helicopter chase. They jump off of a cliff. Cars crash. There's gunfights. I mean, it's, uh, there's a lot going on yeah. in it on the action side of things too. And Again, I, I will find out next week with when we cover Scent of a Woman and Meet Joe Black, which are clear swings at a little more middle brow. You know, I hate the term Oscar bait, but seems like that is in mind, mm-hmm. like some level of like a ser- take me seriously element to it. And I think in the 80s, you know, we just talked about the Rotten Tomatoes review of Beverly Hills Cop and some of the bad reviews on... Um, midnight run there wasn't maybe the same level of respect mm. of craft that they have that we, you know it's even looking back on like you can go back to like howard hawks and john ford and albert hitchcock movies getting bad reviews in the 40s that are now all considered classics because the craft is there and the voice is there and i think that the same goes for certainly midnight run yes um, to be placed in that it's like just this movie is really really good <laughs> if you haven't seen it and I'm bummed because I would have loved to have um you know 25 years of rewatching 
uh, beat up old video copy of this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know why we missed it. I guess these things just happen. I guess yeah. they happen. It's just a damn mystery. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's one of those, it's a little innocuous. It's like not as flashy as a lot of similar films. And it's like, it's not going to be the one where you're at, when you're at Hollywood video, you're not going to like, you know, you're going to go for the Beverly Hills cop because it pops more. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the same thing goes, I mean, like, similar time period, Lethal Weapon came out and Lethal Weapon, major buddy action movie, um, Saunderson House Staple. We had, mm-hmm. we had it on video, and we loved we freaking loved Lethal Weapon. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, Midnight Run is so good. And I don't know. I, I, I Maybe Gigli was an attempt, too, at um, getting back to action comedy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think one of the differences here, Martin Brest developed Beverly Hills Cop and Midnight Run, but he did not – was, he was not the credited screenwriter on either of these films he is the credited screenwriter on geely um which you know take it or leave it <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see we'll we'll see it's it is interesting though i mean he we only have you know three more movies directed by martin Brest, and midnight run came out in 1988 mm. so it's very um i'm a little bummed to be honest with you patrick um mm. that he didn't do more yeah, that we didn't like get to know him. You know, he's. I mean, I if he had done more, who knows if we'd be doing this series even. But I think part of the mystery of Martin Brest is this idea that he's like, not only is he currently reclusive, but he didn't do much to yeah. begin with. Um, and he made like, and if you also look like Beverly Hills Cop, Eddie Murphy. Midnight Run, Robert De Niro, Scent of a Woman, Al Pacino, Meet Joe Black, Brad Pitt, Gigli, Ben Affleck, and Jennifer Lopez, mega stars all the way through. People that are like either like at the top of at their prime in the moment or at a, 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 a one of their various peaks. Because even yeah. Al Pacino at that point, he is like riding a good wave. He's just off of Godfather Part Three. Godfather Three, he's back with Sea of Love. Glenn yeah. Gary, Glenn Ross. I mean, he's you yeah. Know, we've, Dick Tracy. Yeah. Everyone knows this. We have, we've covered it in, exhaustively. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is like the this is like the third uh, Pacino crest or the second Pacino crest. Yeah. 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 But I is this. I don't know if we're gonna solve this mystery. I think we were able to solve james cameron a little bit more i think we were able to solve al pacino a little bit more even meryl streep i think we were able to come to some conclusions do you think we're gonna come to any conclusions with martin breast it's tough he's a hard nut to crack partially because of like you know so much is like up to us because there's just not a lot of like uh, material and there's not a lot of supplementary material yeah and the fact that i mean he Outside of this one appearance at the Arrow, which we missed, ah. <laughs> haunting, just fucking haunting. Yeah. Um, he hasn't been around, and it took Paul Thomas Anderson of all people to draw him out for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, as like a, it's got to be someone powerful <laughs> to even do it, and someone with the respect that PTA has, because you know, I think we're also not alone and. 
I'm sure many people, when they heard that that happened, begin to rethink Martin Brest. Like, oh, I mean, we're aware like Gigli was a disaster, and he's got these two great comedies. Then he made these two like seemingly bloated Academy favored dramas in the '90s. But yeah, who is he? <laughs> you know, or <laughs> I mean, who is he? And we, I don't know. If, we learned more or the mystery got deeper this week because these movies are like there are themes but they're certainly not hot tomorrows in terms of being like an artist expressing themselves necessarily they are hot high 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 level 80s studio pictures yes the, yeah, you don't get the sense like you really have to dig deep with these features if you want to like uh, uh, pull out some kind of uh, you know uh, pet theme of Martin Breasts or yeah, like I mean, yeah. If, if you if you look at even like a narrative of a career arc, I mean, similar time period Martin Scorsese makes After Hours, which you could say to yourself, oh. He'd kind of hit a wall. He made all these kind of bloated movies that didn't do as well, that are all great, but didn't do as well. Mm. He had a he had a terrible drug addiction. After hours of Scorsese saying, I'm going to New York. I'm doing what I do. I'm getting back to basics. You can feel mm. that, but Scent of a Woman, I don't want to say like, oh, it's just an attempt at respectability, but that's kind of on, on surface what it feels like, that he didn't feel respected for his wonderful comedic touch. So he's like, I'm going to make a movie that wins Al Pacino an Oscar and, you know, has the rousing speech at the end and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. I think I will stand by this. I haven't watched it again. I think that uh, Frank Slade should have shot himself in the suicide scene oh, totally. and had Chris O'Donnell give the speech himself at the end of that movie yeah. to prove he had learned something. He does not need friendship with this guy. He need like, and I wonder if the Martin Brest of going in style would have done that. Hmm. That's a good question. Well, the thing too is like, it's like we have these two conflicting energies. We've got uh, friendship, you know, male bonding and fear of death. Yeah. And maybe Midnight Run, maybe something clicks for him in Midnight Run where it's like, maybe I don't need to fear death. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, and since there's so little known about his, uh, <laughs> you know, his life, who knows? He could have met like a, a special lady or a partner and had children or something around that time period. You know, that changes artists, too. Yeah. Is it, you know, I mean, even somebody like Paul Thomas Anderson, if you look at his work, Punch through Heart Eight, through Punch Drunk Love, and then There Will Be Blood Through Today. It's a different filmmaker. Mm. Some of his pet themes are there, but he's different. His style is different. His pacing is different. And what he really cares, like, it's like there's young PTA and there's mature PTA. And nobody questions that. I'm going to say right now to you on the subject of PTA, I may or may have not purchased a ticket to to, uh, High School Confidential just so I can see the trailer. Not a bad idea. I'm going going to be at the Bev tomorrow and my big fingers crossed that uh, uh, Licorice Pizza, what a title. Yeah. We're dying. Yeah. The word is too, like it's been revealed. Ben Stiller's in it. John C. Riley is in it. Riley's back. How great is that? Year of the Cooper. Uh, Bradley 
Cooper going big, going home. Uh, posters out for Guillermo del Toro's uh, Nightmare Alley, too. I mean, Ooh. okay, I just gotta say, Bradley Cooper is John Peters. Yes, John, <laughs> I want to put a spider in everything, Peters. <laughs> Hairdresser turned mogul. Yes. <laughs> like, uh, and in between that, a mountain of cocaine. Uh, just uh, the the biggest, like uh, Tony, ma- Tony Montana and Manny would have been like, oh, that's too much. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> just like a, a pile of cocaine shaped like a Grinch's mountain. Mm-hmm. The Grinch yeah. mountain. Uh, we, can't, man. we can't wait. And uh, I love that PTA is um, not released it online, this trailer at all you have to see in 35 millimeter who knows if that's elitist or privileged but it's fun it makes it feel special yeah he's cool yeah and it is neat it's neat um i'm sure it'll be out online by the time this episode drops oh yeah (laughs) i'm sure it's already probably been bootlegged yeah but you know uh, you know to sum up this week's ep i think you know martin breast made two of the finest comedies Mm. of the 1980s two of the best period in mm. Beverly Hills Cop and Midnight Run. I don't know if they are as personal as Hot Tomorrow's and Going in Style, mm-hmm. but they are successful damn movies. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and they're, they're what you want out of a damn movie. Yeah, they're, they're, they're clearly the work of someone both competent and intelligent. Like, yes. Yeah, yes. someone who can, uh, can walk the walk and talk the talk, which it, is going to make the next two films uh, all the more fascinating to watch and rewatch. Well, it's going to be interesting because even if they're better than Gigli, we can already vouch that Son of a Woman is bloated. And in three hours, there's no way Meet Joe Black is not bloated. Um, so how someone who kept things so tight and so tonally consistent can move into this realm. I'm not certain. So we're going to, we're, but you know what? The Academy Academy is there for you to to discover these things. We're going to, you know, sit through nearly six hours of Scent of a Woman and Meet Joe Black. We're watching Scent of a Woman a third time this year, the calendar year of 2021, a third time. (laughs) I don't know if human brains can handle this. <laughs> a movie I actively wanted to lose, so I did not have to watch again yeah, <laughs> in the mo- tournament. Uh, man, a movie that I thought, like, with a second viewing, I'd be like, ah, this rules. But then the, uh, the other happened. It was like, yeah. oh, this is this is interminable. But, but yeah, uh, we will. Yeah. We'll take a look. We will take a look at both those next week. And then the week after that, the return of Julie for one last look at Martin Brest, but this has been really fun so far. I yeah. gotta say he's cool. This, I, I like yeah. it. These are, um, these are really, really, you know, and we'll, we'll get into it. I think as we continue, but this idea too, is that not everyone can be Martin Scorsese where it's like 30 movies, just continuing to challenge and be interesting. And I mean, have no real right to be almost 80 years old and still be on your game at the level he is on his game. Most directors and artists do peter out. They have a couple high points and maybe that's just the case here. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with that because he made two that are going to last. We're, we're, we're cooked. Yeah, we're cooked. So for Patrick, I'm Don. This has been the Academy Academy. Next week, Scent of yep. a Woman. Meet Joe Black. Ooh. Fugazi? 
Fugazi. It's a Fugazi. It's a Fugazi. Oh, it's a Fugazi. Oh. Fugazi. Fugazi. Fugazi.